very snowy day out today, so I would like to thank everyone who was able to, uh, to come this morning. Uh, it's kind of our first big snow of the season, which was really, really fun to let the kids go out and play with. Nice wet snow. Um, who was able to get some sledding in? Anyone? No? Okay. Well, one person got to go sledding. One person. Uh, we unfortunately were not able to go sledding either. But um, So I hope you took this time of being snowed in to finish up the book of Job. Um, because I'm sure maybe there were some of you that were just like, you know what? I'm going to put that off. <laughs> uh, the book of Job is a very, it's a very hard story to read. And I mean that in every sense of the word. I mean that it is hard to read and understand the literal words that's written in the Bible. Um, but it's also just a very difficult story to come face to face with. Um, so, you know, while you were sitting at home doing not sledding yesterday and just sitting at home, hopefully you finished it. Uh, because today that's what we're going to be covering is in the book of Job. Uh, one of the things that we were wanting to do from the beginning was this idea of, so any part of the reading that we were going to be doing like the week before, we'd pull something out and like, hey, this is something that stuck out to me. I'd like to talk about it this morning. That kind of, well, unfortunately for you, (laughs) the thing that stuck out to me was the entire book. So uh, because I, I think it's really hard to teach and talk about the book of Job by picking out like just chapter 9 or something like that. It's, it's just hard. And, and really the most profound thing about the book of Job is the overall concept that comes from the book. Uh, because here's our preconceived notion with, with Job, right? And uh, let's see if you follow along with this, any or agree with this. Uh, when we think about Job, we immediately think about this guy suffering, right? We, suffering is like one of the first words that come to our mind when we think about the book of Job. And not only that, but we also think that the suffering served no purpose, or it was unjust, or anything like that. <clears throat> so immediately what we try to pull out of the book of Job is, why does human suffering exist? And it brings us face to face with these convictions and these ideas that if God is good, if there is a good God, why does human suffering exist? Good or bad, right? Good person, bad person, doesn't matter. Why does suffering exist? And and that's what we want to get out of the book of Job, right? We want to read that and we want that answer, right? That's what we want. We want to read through this and come to the end and be like, now it all makes sense. Now I know why people suffer. Now I know why we have pandemics and car accidents and cancer and failed things in our lives and I lose all of my money. And all, but Now it all makes sense. And that's what we want at the end of the book of Job. But unfortunately, that's not what we get. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, spoiler alert, all we get is God. That's it. He purposely doesn't answer any of our questions. And like, I don't want to give away too much the ending here because we're going to unpack some stuff, but I, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that. Acknowledge that what we want is a why and God doesn't provide it. And I, I think even to an extent, we, we, we try to seek understanding. We try to seek all these things because we want to find a why and why do bad things happen, right? We keep asking ourselves these questions. And not, not only that, like even Christians ask these questions, but I would venture to guess that it might be one of the main reasons um, atheists and people who struggle to believe, it's one of their main things that hinders them from fully believing in a good God that there is suffering in this world. Therefore, even if there is a God, 
I don't want anything to do with him. And you read Job hoping for some grand theological answer. And I'll be honest, I read ahead, (laughs) right? So I've been trying to study on Job for about a month. And as I say that, what, what I'm hoping you guys are not hearing or expecting <laughs> is Adam to come up here with some profound answer. Because honestly, that's the pressure that I put on myself during the, the study of this book was some profound answer that I feel like I'm obligated to present on a Sunday morning when we read about human suffering. But the best I can do is say, don't ask why. Because God doesn't offer the answer. Starting out a little heavy because the book's heavy. <laughs> and uh, this has just been really hard. So um, what I was compelled to do, though, was leave you guys with some condensed thought. So- something you can take home with you. Um, now, language fails us, words fail us, uh, you can condense things down, you can try to make things simple, you can say, okay, well, just, just think about it this way, right, Here, here's a sentence to memorize to help yourself, right, and, and I can try to present things like that, but ultimately, words fail, language fails, something's going to be left on the table, there's going to be, I'm gonna, it's going to be a slide here in just a second, and you, you guys are going to read this, and I'm, I'm hoping it's helpful, uh, but there's going to be some of you out there be like, yeah, okay, that, that, that's not bad, but you're forgetting this, and you left this out, and this doesn't make sense, and I hate this word, and blah, 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 okay, and I get that, things are left on the table, but I'm still hoping it's helpful uh, because this is, I guess, my main thought that I kind of got and I want to try to point us back to. So if we can go ahead and bring up the, that, that first slide where we're talking about fully understanding God's wisdom. There we go. So let, let's go ahead. I'm going to read this bold part real quick because this is the main part I want us to just kind of just grapple with, okay? So fully understanding God's wisdom and his reign of the universe, meaning how he lords over everything in existence, right? How he makes decisions, how things operate, all of it, how he reigns over the universe, okay, is not a requirement for trusting in his rule and authority. Okay, again, like I said, words fail. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but that's what I got, (laughs) okay? So if you're, if you're stepping into this book and you're stepping into this morning saying, oh, all right, we get to hear a message on Job, and you're expecting something on human suffering, we're actually where I want us to more lead is away from asking questions of why do people suffer, but more ask the question of, like, by what kind of policies does God run the universe? Okay? Let, let's, let's not focus this on Job, but instead focus this on, on God and a, a characteristic of God, right? Because that's what we need to get out of this. Let, let's read this one more time. Fully understanding God's wisdom, all right? We're going we're gonna to talk about wisdom here in just a little bit and unpack that a little more, okay? In his reign of the universe is not a requirement for trusting in his rule and authority. You fully understanding why and how he does things is not a requirement for you to follow him. There's an even more condensed version, okay? Um, instead, he calls us to wrestle with the struggles of our human ex- experience while realizing he is ultimately good and sovereign over everything. Now, here's something else to catch, okay? And this little thing I came up with, right? 
calls us to wrestle with the struggles of human experience. Just because the book of Job doesn't necessarily answer why we struggle does not mean he does not expect us to not struggle and to not wrestle with it. We have an entire book of the Bible that teaches us how to wrestle with our human experience. It's the book of Psalms, right? It teaches us to lament. It teaches us about joy. It teaches about all of these human experiences that we have. But God says, but this is how you do it within the framework that I have set up. Okay? So this is it. That's the best I got. We'll, we'll refer back to that a couple times, okay? Uh, so let's do a quick flyover of the book of Job, okay? Because um, if... I'm going to call out my wife a little bit. I don't even know if she's watching this morning. Uh, we have a sick little one, so she stayed home this morning. But uh, So if she is watching this morning, sorry, I'm going to call you out. Um, so <laughs> one conversation that we had is she was like, I'm struggling with just the word, literally the words of Job. Like she wasn't necessarily struggling with, you know, the themes or like what it meant or anything like that. But literally like uh, <laughs> she's a very like type A, you know what I'm saying? So she reads poetry, which is, which is Job, right? And she goes, just say it. Just say what you want to say, right? Just answer my questions, Bible, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's there. So I'm sure there's some of you that probably got into the weeds with some of this uh, Hebrew poetry and we're just like, forget it. I'm skipping this. Let's move on. So if you're one of those people, let's do a quick flyover of the book of Job, okay? Um, so the book of Job is broken up into three parts. Can we go ahead and bring up the graphic that I have set up? There we go. So this is the book of Job. This is the best way to think about it. It's broken up into three parts. We got a prologue, which is the beginning, okay? Uh, the dialogue, which is the thick Hebrew poetry in the middle, okay? That's the big um, conversations with Job and his buddies sitting around the fire, all that, okay, right? And then we got the ending, which is the epilogue, okay? And that's kind of like God's response, okay? Which is filled with a lot of uh, creation imagery and things like that. And I kind of explained this to Sarah. Again, I'm calling her out. But I kind of explained this to Sarah, and she goes, how did you get that? <laughs> like, where did he talk about creation? You just, you know, because because it's, it's just, it is, it's hard, right? It's, it doesn't read and speak like we read and speak, okay? So if you were one of those kind of people that kind of got lost in it, that's why we go over the book of Job in this way. Like I said, a quick little flyover. So, all right, so let's start with the prologue. It introduces us to our main character, Job, okay? And God calls him a righteous man. So we know from the beginning that Job is a good guy, all right? So Job is a righteous man, but not only that, he's also a rich man. He's got lots of possessions. He's got a large family, all of these things, okay? Now, do we believe Job is a real person? Okay, this is one thing. It's like most evidence points to, yes, Job was a real person, okay? Um, now, as far as the authorship and when the book was written, you know, I like to bring these kind of things up because it's important, okay? Uh, the short answer is, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody really knows. But here's what we do know about the author. And I'm like about four pages ahead of myself here. Uh, here. Here's what we do know about the author. Okay. The author is a very intelligent person. Okay. Very intelligent person. We know that for a couple different ways. Uh, sorry, a couple different reasons is he does, he talks about like constellations and stuff like So he knows about the stars and, and not just like, you know, Libra and all these weird things. No, he knows like how the stars are arranged. So it's like a scientific mind, okay? So he's very into that kind of stuff. He's into meteorology. He mentions things like that. I think that's like in Job 
9 or something like that. Like, now, Job 9 is like his way he mentions like the constellations and stuff. Anyway, anyways, so he's, he's very intelligent, very cultured. The reason why we know he's cultured is he's writing in Hebrew. He knows about the Hebrew scriptures, but yet he doesn't live in Israel more than likely, right? He's from a land called, or Job is from a land called Uz, and he knows about this land, which is an entire separate land from Israel. Um, actually, the land of Uz is only mentioned one other time in Lamentations 4, uh, talking about the daughter of Edom. That's a whole other thing. We'll get there eventually, okay? Um, but so it's a very, not very known area, but this guy knows about it, all right? So he's a very smart guy, very cultured guy, and the other thing is, the book of Job, I know this is like really dry stuff, and you guys are like, come on, just get there. Okay, but this is important. Just stick with me for a little bit, okay? <clears throat> um, okay, so the book of Job is filled, yes, with very complicated, weird Hebrew poetry. But if you read in the original Hebrew, there's words in this book that are not found anywhere else in the entire Bible, okay? Why is that? The guy was showing off. <laughs> That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, think about going and talking to some, I don't know, some English professor at Harvard, and he just starts like basically quoting the dictionary because he can, okay? That's what the author's doing. Like, it's just these really big, elaborate words that nobody in their right mind actually uses in everyday talk, okay? So very smart guy, okay? Considered one of the wise, all right. He also kind of writes in very proverby type of language, okay? Um, which we all know that you know proverbs written by Solomon, one of the wisest guys ever lived. Author Job, right up there. Job, or the book of Job, is actually really only mentioned one other time, really, and that's in Ezekiel. And we don't really know if Ezekiel knows about the but knows about Job either through oral tradition like he just heard about this guy, or if he actually read it. We don't know. We just know Ezekiel mentioned it. And book of Ezekiel was written 593, 571, round in there. Okay, so pre-then is the book of Job. That's the best we got <laughs> right now. Why is any of that important? Because literally the content, the authorship, and when and where, all of these things are a mystery. <laughs> and that is the point. The point is, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. We don't have to fully understand God's wisdom in order to fall under his rule and authority. Sometimes we want all of these neat numbered lists. We want things to fall in order. We want to make spreadsheets of our budgets and make the numbers all line up like they're supposed to, but sometimes they just don't. Sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes things just don't make sense. Sometimes life is a mystery. And that's the uncomfortable and weird situation this entire book makes us come face to face with. Is that it's a mystery. Life is a mystery. Suffering is a mystery. All of this is out of our control. And that's what makes it difficult. Because as a human race, we like control. We like being in control of all aspects of our life. And the book of Job looks at us and says, you don't need that. And that's why all of these aspects are important. Not just the discussions around the campfire. But even boiling it down to when it was written. It's uncomfortable and it's weird. And we're called to just kind of live in it. 
let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the center part because obviously it's the biggest. And what's important about this middle part is the dialogue between Job's friends and Job, right? So they're sitting around a campfire. All of this bad suffering stuff has happened, okay? And this is how Job's friends kind of view theology, so to speak, okay? So go ahead and leave that up because I want us to just continue to digest that, okay? Um, But we're going to be talking about this quite a bit, okay? So Job's friends are convinced that Job has done something wrong in order to have something bad happen to him, right? They say it over and over and over. What have you done that has brought this upon you and all this other stuff, right? Uh, Job 4, 8, he even says, as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. You get what you, you know, you reap what you sow, those kinds of ideas, okay? And, and that's how Job's friends are helping, okay? They're trying to say, look, you just, you just need to make it right with God. You just need to repent. Say you're sorry. Beg for forgiveness. Ask for mercy, right? And that's what Job's friends are trying to get Job to do. But all it does is infuriate him because he's like, I have done nothing wrong. I have not sinned against God. I, I can't fathom what I have done to be able to deserve what is happening to me. All my possessions taken away. Most of my family died all the way to the point, like, uh, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I love what his wife says. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. I love that line. <laughs> because there's so much to that. Because that is what he was trying to do from the beginning, right? Or what, what they were trying to get him to do from the beginning. Satan was trying to get him to curse God. Actually, we're going to go ahead and read that real quick. Go ahead and bring up uh, Job 1, verses 6 through 12. Go ahead and turn there. This is, this is kind of the foundation of Job. This is how it all starts, okay? I want to go ahead and read this, all right? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, or Satan, if you want to think of it that way. Satan means accuser in Hebrew, okay? So let us never forget that that is Satan's main role is to accuse us. He is the accuser, okay, or the Satan, okay? Uh, The Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Satan's basically like telling God, if you take away all the good stuff, Job will no longer be good. He's only good because you do good to him, right? That's what he's trying to make the point of. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So that was the first test. Everything around him was taken away, killed, all that. And then the second test, and we won't read about that, but basically first it was done around him. The second test was done to him personally, right? So he started getting like boils on his skin and all of this. At one point it said he even had a broken piece of pottery so he could scratch the sores. Gross, right? So Job's friends look at him like, look at you. Obviously, you've done something wrong. 
So Job's friends view theology and God in this idea of policy of just compensation, which literally means, I'm going to bring that back up. Let's go ahead and read that description out loud now. Here we go. The understanding that deeds should have an equal compensation in accordance to their perceived value. That's a really fancy way of saying good deeds equal rewarded, bad deeds equal punished. Okay? That's a very simple way of putting that. And that's how Job's friends feel like they're trying to help. Okay? And this is not the, actually the only place that this policy of just compensation kind of shows up. Actually, uh, the really fun part about this is that this idea of good equals good, bad equals bad, is actually found elsewhere in the Bible. So, okay, so now we're going to get a little confused here. All right? Stick with me. We got Proverbs, and we've actually got Deuteronomy a couple places, all right? We're going to read a couple of them here real quick. But um, so Job's friends are approaching this with everything that they would have learned actually from the Hebrew Bible, okay? Um, so like, for example, Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. The Lord possessed, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. Um, so actually, Deuteronomy 28, 1, 2. I got ahead of myself, sorry. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Well, that sure sounds like if you do good, you receive good. If you do bad, you receive bad. Right? That, that's kind of what that sounds like to me. Right? Okay, so there's another thing in Proverbs that I want us to understand. And that's this concept of hokamah, or wisdom. Okay? And Proverbs introduces us to this character. He actually uh, personifies wisdom. Okay? And now we can, now we can read this. Okay? Um, Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. The Lord possessed me, hokamah, or wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old, age... Ages ago, I, Hokama or wisdom, was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So somehow, Hokama or wisdom, God's wisdom, is some kind of force that helped create the world. Somehow. Okay? That's what we got. But then also in Proverbs, and also, like, it seems like in Deuteronomy and other places, like it says us to try to pursue this idea of wisdom, pursue understanding, pursue knowledge, and all these things, right? So we have our own version of hokamah, our own wisdom that we're trying to get. But the last time I checked, any bit of knowledge or wisdom that I have attained has not created anything. Now, granted, I have been able to take pieces of God's creation and reconstruct it to create something good, right? God creates trees to be able to grow. So I'm able to take those trees, turn it into lumber, and build a house. But I did not create the ability for this tree to grow. Does that make sense? So with that being said, now we can establish that maybe there are two different levels of hokamah or wisdom. Maybe, just maybe, God has a higher wisdom understanding and perception than we do. Can we get there? Does that make sense? All right, great. So we have hokamah. I love that word. So say, uh, David likes to do this, right? He says, say it with me, all right? Hokamah. 
Yeah, Hokemaw. Yeah, it's fun, right? It's not, okay. All right, so Hokemaw is this idea of wisdom. You have a Hokemaw. I have a Hokemaw through, through Christ, through his spirit. But we do not have the same level of perception or uh, bounty, so to speak, that God does. Our Hokemaw cannot create much. Okay? You want to know something really fun? Read ahead, 1 Corinthians 1.24. It talks about wisdom being Christ. But again, that's for future times. So I don't want to spend too much time on this idea because eventually we are going to get to Proverbs and we are going to get to Deuteronomy, okay? But for the sake of this idea of policy of just compensation, okay, we have to understand that God has a level of wisdom that we do not. He has a level of perception that we do not. He has a level of power that we do not. We lack the capacity, even though we try to take it for ourselves. Even though we try to attain, we try to have that level of perception, everything, but we don't. We don't have it. We're incapable of it. So when Job's friends try to use all of this wisdom that they have attained from the scriptures and how they think God should act, how they think God should be just, how they think God should bless or curse or whatever. They're trying to interpret God in this very narrow view of policy of just compensation. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. And that's what Job's friends are trying to do. Now, before we start going down any type of rabbit hole and you start thinking this, so what, what are you saying, Adam? Somehow Job is contrary to the rest of the Bible? So, so, the rest of, so you're telling me that Proverbs and Deuteronomy teaches this, this thing, right? That if I, if I do good, if I seek the Lord, I'm going to have blessings. But yet when I read through the book of Job, it's telling me the opposite. So now you're telling me the Bible is contradictory. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. Don't go down that rabbit hole in your head. Instead, let's always remember, and you're going to hear this a lot over the next year, okay? The Bible is one unified story pointing to who? Jesus. Let's say that one more time. The Bible is one unified story that points to? Jesus, Jesus right? Okay, if it is one unified story, okay, instead of looking at the book, maybe you look at this as a chapter or everything like that. Okay, so Job is revealing some characteristic of God that is complementary to the character that we find in God in Proverbs, in Deuteronomy, in Genesis, in 1 Peter, everything. It's all God. It all points to God. Okay? There is no contradiction. It is all complementary. Okay? There is something about God, the character of God in the book of Job that we are supposed to get out of, and it perfectly matches the rest of the God that we find, the God that we find in the rest of the Bible. Okay? Don't freak out. <laughs> All right? All right, bring up my little uh, triangle graphic. Let's look at this. There it is. Okay. So this is the conundrum with the policy of just compensation. All right? God is just and good. God calls Job righteous. Right? But yet we have the policy of just compensation as Job's friends, as Proverbs, as Deuteronomy teaches us, everything like that. How are all three true? 
How are all three true? Right? If God is good and just, and Job is righteous, then how is he suffering? That's the big question in Job. And the answer is, Hokemah. Somehow, in God's infinite wisdom, in his all-powerful reign of the universe, in, in wisdom, his level of wisdom, can decide to not follow the policy of just compensation. Somehow. <laughs> For some reason that is beyond our comprehension, that is beyond our wisdom, that is beyond our understanding, Job is allowed to suffer. And this is the uncomfortable part of Job. We're not given the why. In fact, actually, as the reader, we get a slightly higher perspective than even Job does. Think, think about the entire story of Job from Job's perspective. He doesn't get this scene of the heavenly courts like we do. He doesn't get any of that. In fact, just in his perception, all of a sudden, life went to... Right? Just went... Ugh. Family dead. He's super sick. All this like, whoa, what's going on? Right? His friends show up. Horrible comforters, he calls them. You're really bad at this. And then at the end, this is what God offers as comfort. This is what God says. Have you ever thought about what it feels like or what it's like to hold the waters back? We mentioned stuff about leviathans and turtles. And Job's like, like if you were Job, how would you receive that message? I'm sitting here suffering, scratching open sores with pottery. And you're talking about sea turtles. <laughs> Maybe the main thing for us to get is that God has a higher perspective and is more powerful and the universe is so much more complex than we can ever imagine that even if he did tell us, there's not a way for us to understand it. So even though we want answers for all the bad stuff, for the pandemics and the death And you, maybe you even came to church wanting, wanting this why. But I gotta be honest. I don't know why. I don't know why. In fact, the book ends with Job repenting. And he's able to do that in peace, knowing that there is a good God that is all-powerful and is completely sovereign over all of existence. And he reigns according to his goodness and ultimate wisdom. And just in humility, just repents. So I don't know why I, you know, I have parent that's dying of cancer. I don't know why my family and 
I don't know why we were gone for only eight months for a mission that we thought was going to last five years, if not more. I don't know why. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. I don't know why now we're having to try to buy a house in the worst housing market since the 1970s. All I have is that we're trying to serve a good God that reigns over everything. That's all I got. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Jesus is the ultimate Job, and he's the only truly innocent person that suffered. And just as Job repents at the end of his story, we are called to humbly repent before a Lord that innocently suffered for us so that we can potentially taste that coming joy. Because that's all we have. We live in a broken and cursed world. And the only real way to get rid of the brokenness and the curse is to kill every last one of us. That's it. But he was able to find an alternative to that by killing his only son, dying on a cross, suffering, the only innocent person that suffered, so that we could live if only for a short time on this world to continue to point people to him. And we suffer in a broken, broken world that's cursed. And sometimes it is the, the circumstances that surround us. It's the suffering that we see. Maybe it's the own, our own sores that we see or the sores we see on other people that hinder our belief in that God is good and just. We see pandemics. We see things like this. It's like, there's no way God is good. Look at that. And it hinders our belief. And I think that's what we need to just take in this morning and just think about, like, what hinders my belief? Reminds me of Mark 9 when the father comes to Jesus whenever his son is possessed by a demon and says, all of your disciples have tried to remove this demon from my son and none of them have been able to do it. There's no way God is good. And Jesus says, but do you believe? He goes, I do, but I'm struggling. The circumstances around me point that God is not good, that God is not capable, that God cannot heal my son. So Lord, help me with my unbelief. And again, what does Jesus do? He comes to him and he goes, well, you let me know when you get that fixed and I'll come back and fix your son. Is that what happens? No, because he does not operate in the policy of just compensation. He does not wait for you to believe that he is completely just and good. He doesn't wait for that. If he were to wait for that and he did follow policy of just compensation, we would all have nothing. 
But instead, he steps into the brokenness. He steps in to these demon possessions and pandemics and all of this crud that we see every day. And he steps into it and suffers with us. Because he has more hokama than you could ever imagine. And he can step out of that policy when he needs to. Thank God that he can. Because he's good, just, and sovereign. I'm going to call Nathan to come back up and close out. I don't have more to say, but to be honest with you, I don't think I have more to say. So... Um, In Philippians, Paul talks all the time about his suffering in prison. And, but we're able to see it from the outside looking in because we read through Philippians and the letters of Paul and see the good that his suffering did. Suffering in prison, what's he do? He saves prison guards, <laughs> right? Encourages other believers to do the same. So let me ask you this. What is your unbelief this morning? And how is it hindering the Great Commission? How is your inability to look past all of the stuff that we see, all the bad things that happen, all the suffering, like how, how does your idea of there's suffering, therefore God can't be good. How, how is that blocking your ability to believe that he has all authority in heaven and earth? And then therefore we go and make disciples. But we don't feel compelled to go because we don't believe he has authority or he has authority. We just don't want to fall under it because ultimately he's not good. Look at this. Honestly, ask yourself, do you believe he's just and good? Because the honest truth is he's sovereign no matter what. Maybe you just need to thank God this morning that he does not fall under the policy of just compensation. Think about the amount of good you've done in your life and the amount of good that you have in your life. Does that seem equal? What do you think you deserve as opposed to what God's given you? and stand. The book of Job is very hard. It's hard to read, but it's also hard to come face to face with these concepts. I gotta be honest, I struggle with it quite a bit. Um, and I, I know almost it seems like I'm trying to push this, like, okay, I'm just trying to be, you know, truthful from the pulpit. It was hard, guys. It was hard. But I say this because I want you to join in the struggle with me with these things. Don't think that there are not times that I question God's goodness. <laughs> you know? I hope everyone here has a level of conviction and hopefully revelation from the book of Job.
and before Nathan starts singing this song that goes well <laughs> uh, with this story, um, I do want some silence because this just feels like a solemn moment. Because I feel there are probably several people not only in this room, but also watching from home that all they see is suffering and they're just like, there's no way God can be good. And you're struggling to see the blessing in your life. And I wish I had some profound way of saying, well, look at this, you know? But I'm not gonna offer you something that God doesn't, because <laughs> that's not how God offers Job, uh, Job comfort. He's off, he offers Job comfort by simply saying, I've got this. That's how he comforts him. One of the ironic themes in the entire book actually is the idea of comfort. Um, the uh, phrases that contain the word comfort and the word comfort is found in almost every single chapter in the book. Um, so I, I think there's a one a sense of like irony there, but also I think God's trying to say something that even through the struggle that Job was having, both the author and God was dropping these hints of where comfort comes from. And he was trying to find comfort in all these different things, right? But ultimately, comfort came from knowing God's sovereignty and presence. And that's where the comfort came from. Because he was able, Job, at the end, was able to repent in peace without having an answer to why. Um, I hope you guys wrestle with that a lot this week. I really do. Um, this is one of the, I, I love that we're doing this, so don't hear that. But this is one of the flaws and downsides with you know, following a Bible reading plan and trying to get it done in a year is because we could have read Job like for two months, <laughs> you know, um, and just really dive into it and just ugh, let that all sink in. It just felt like, phew, and it was over, right? Um, and we're going to find that a lot as we go through this year. So I want to encourage you guys, yes, you know, follow the plan, read with us, everything like that. But also go back and read if you need to, <laughs> you know, read it over and over and over. Like I know it says like, you know, 20 minutes a day. It's like, if you need to take an hour <laughs> and, and really let it sink in because comfort is found in his presence and you find his presence in the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this morning. Uh, we thank you for the ability to gather under your name. Um, help us to continually look to you and your sovereignty over us, Lord. Um, help us feel uh, your presence daily and uh, lead us and guide us in ways to fully glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.